Where Dreams Come From is a podcast featuring successful people from around the world who have pursued their dreams to arrive at a station in life. I'm your host, Sanjeev Chatterjee. I'm a professor of cinema and journalism, and in my creative life, I make documentary films. I started this podcast to explore what it takes for people to follow their dreams, even while being true to who they are, at least who they believe they are. In November 1969, when Sesame Street premiered on public television, my guest, Dr. Loretta Long, was there. As we will hear, based on her fortitude and thinking on her feet, she had landed the role of Susan Robinson, a housewife. Later, her character developed into a working nurse and mother to an adopted son. Sesame Street was path-breaking in that it aimed to be an influential educational program for American children by combining rigorous research, educational content, and entertainment to engage kids in learning while having fun. Despite the fact that Sesame Street has gone on to be one of the most successful edutainment programs anywhere, in this conversation, Dr. Loretta reveals she never felt successful even through all the fanfare. I spoke to her recently at her home in New Jersey. Right along, uh, thank you so much for taking the time with me today. Well, it's my pleasure because, first of all, you called me by my real name, Loretta Long. <laughs> I've been Susan of Sesame Street, Susan Robinson for so many years. There are people that don't really know my real name. And now I'm on the other side of being Susan of Sesame Street, I'm doing my new uh, normal, because people keep trying to go back to normal. Don't do that. Do your new normal. And that's driving my brand as Dr. Loretta Long. And the whole name is too formal, so I just like to be called Dr. Loretta. And that's, that's my brand. This conversation is about where dreams come from. And I wanted to ask you, can you recollect for us uh, your earliest memories of growing up? I always wanted to be in what we called show business. As a little kid, I didn't know what show business was, but my father was a tap dancer and my mother was a singer. So they were um, a dance team. And mom and dad would win a dance contest. My family tells me I could always sing. My mother says that I could sing as a baby, that she would come to pick me up. She'd hear me wake up and she'd wait for me to cry, but I wouldn't cry. I would sing and sometimes put myself back to sleep. So I came here with music in me. I don't really remember thinking, gee, maybe you could make a living at this because I always sang. I was sang in the children's choir. I sang the solos at school and that kind of thing. And I'm from Michigan. And so when Motown came into being, you know, I want to be part of the Motown sound. Of course, all the slots were taken, the, the Supremes and Martha and Vandellas, they didn't have any room for me on my farm out in Pawpaw, Michigan. But I always, wanted to sing and I knew I I knew I could and how about values growing up what were they where did they come from well our values are very straight ahead we were a, a family of believers uh, we pray and we pray for one another and we're a team you know so 
My parents were always very encouraging with a kind of, yeah, that's good, but have something to fall back on, have your degree. And, and I'm really glad they did that because when I came um, out of college, I went directly to Detroit trying to be in the Motown sound. I stayed there for a whole year and I finally got my audition with Motown. Guess what? On the day I was moving to New York, the rental car and my roommate were sitting in, <laughs> in front of Barry Gordy's office and I was singing my audition and he said, well, good luck in New York. You could stay here and work in our A&R department with a college degree. I don't think so. Anyway, so I said, thank you, and went on to New York. Well, I have a degree, so I became a substitute teacher. So that did sustain me so I could pursue my dream. The dream of uh, being in show business, was it a distant dream at that time? It wasn't distant to me because I'm, I'm blessed with a very vivid imagination. And looking back over some of the um, scientific things that they're saying about the power of visualization, little kids can do it and, and need to be encouraged to do it. I think grown-ups try to discourage kids' dreams. We come here dreaming because I think we come here from God loaded with what we need for our job. We come here with a gig, you know, what's your job? And if you wanna know what your job is, start looking at the things that you can do that nobody taught you. Do you remember, I mean, what the shape of that dream was at that time? What were you imagining uh, you, you would become one day? Well, I was very energized by the Motown sound. I wanted to be a recording artist, sure. I wanted to, to work for Barry Gordy. My dream was so ridiculous that everybody who had something to say about it had already said it. I was considered what we call now a space cadet. I was out there because I visualized myself doing it. I graduated in 1960. I went to Detroit to try to be part of the Motown part of the Motown Sound. I stayed there for a year. I moved to New York in 1961. I got the audition for Sesame Street the summer of 1969. However, here's what I say to everyone with a dream. I, I just heard this song said, don't break before your breakthrough. And I think the important thing is, like that song says, don't break before you break through. You have to just keep going. And the momentum is, it's hard. I, I'm a woman of faith. I just can't imagine what it would be like not having a, a full spiritual side of your life because it gets tough, but you, you have faith. That's what faith is. So the reference to breaking, I mean, are you able to share some stories that, you know, under circumstances might be seen as enough to break somebody else? There were a couple things, you know, being black and female. I mean, that's, that would drive me back to my job up in the Bronx as a sub, 
you know, those kids were tough, but they were not as tough as the people you auditioned for. Because my kids in the junior high where I was a sub, they had their own issues, and I knew why they would treat you the way they treated you, because that's how they were treated. Uh, but when you go for auditions, and people are just mean. <laughs> They're just mean-spirited. You ain't done a thing to them. You just show up and, and they're just mean. And sometimes, one thing I'll say to creative people, really be very selective with who you study with. Because sometimes the axiom is them that can do and then they can't teach. And their unhappiness about you're doing well seeps all out. It makes them toxic. I've had some toxic um, people that I paid good money to, and they'll just try to tell you you're not enough, you never will be enough, you're too t and, and auditions are brutal. You're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too skinny. Mine was, I'm too white. Huh? <laughs> what? Oh, you, you sing well, but a black girl that sounds white is not marketable, but a white girl who sounds black, now we got some, what? Uh, so Sesame Street, how did that happen? Sesame Street happened out of the PBS show, local show I was doing. Charlie Rosen was our set designer and he was doing the mock-up for Sesame Street. He was, you know, they build the, um, the whole set like an architect does, a model. So he had the whole model of the house and the yard and the swing and the three stores. And he was making it at our place because all his tools were there. So every time we'd say cut, you'd hear him back there. So my friends say, thank God you're nosy. I call it intellectual curiosity, but they say I'm just nosy. So I went back there to see what he was doing. And Charlie had a set of twins, and I thought he was building something for the boys. And he said, oh no, there's gonna be this new children's show. And right away I said, oh, okay. He said, no, 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 you're a teacher, aren't you? Oh, and I went, no, I'm an actress who happens to be teaching. And he said, no, right in through here, you won't be a teacher who happens to be able to act because I'm going to tell you where to go, because they're looking for educational guides. They're not even teachers. But you've got something extra, because you're really trained as a teacher. Rejecting it. See, sometimes your good is coming right at you like this, and you're going, eh. Okay, so I'm still saying, no, I'm an actress who happens to be, he said, look, be a teacher right here who can sing, okay? <laughs> I heard him. So I said, all right. So what I didn't know was they were looking for a folk acoustic guitar playing lady, Joan Baez type, long brown hair and acoustic guitar. I looked more like Angela Davis. I had a big fro, short skirts, fingernails, no guitar, show tunes. <laughs> I show up at the door. Well, I love to tell this story to young black kids because I said, you know, when you show up and people don't expect you, don't get bent out of shape when they rush to the door and say, can I help you? 
you know, it's like, what are you doing here? And I said, that's what they did to me. I said, but I didn't leave. See, here's the key. This is, this is the, the crossroads in the story. I showed up without anything I was supposed to have except my voice, my spirit, my dream, okay? They rushed to the door, because here comes Angela Davis, and the first thing they said to me is, oh, hello, where's your guitar? I said, excuse me? I could not get Charlie Rosen to tell me that he deliberately didn't tell me or he didn't know, but he always denied that he, he didn't know I was supposed to be able to play guitar. All right, so first thing they say, after looking at me is, oh, where's your guitar? And I said, excuse me? At, you, you play a guitar, right? Now, my nails were longer and redder than they are now. I said, uh, no. And they said, oh. Okay, oh. Oh. And I, oh. I said, I, I was sent here by Charlie Rosen to, to sing for you. I heard you were auditioning for this children's show. Now this person, I still know him, and they claim they didn't say this. They said, oh, Charlie sent you? Okay, stand over there. So really, you know, it was like being put in detention. <laughs> you know, all the other acts were coming through, and they're telling me, stand over there. Well, this is what I say is key. That was a time when I could have gotten insulted, uh, my feelings hurt, uh, mad at Charlie, mad at everybody, mad at the world, and I could have left. I took all that energy to keep me there. I was so mad that they were treating me like that, that I said, I'm going to stand over there and I'm going to sing for somebody today if it's the janitors stacking up the chairs to close the building. I am going to sing today. I'd already spent $15 on a cab fare to keep my throat together. <laughs> I was singing. So I think that's key. And here go my audition for Sesame Street. I'm a little teapot, short and stout. Here it. And the cameramen were, got the same look on their face that you got on yours. Cameraman's looking at me like that. I said, hold it, hold it. Uh, kids, now you know this song, so I'm going to start again. So now everybody, after I say one, two, you know what to do, stand up and sing with me. One, two, you know what to do. Hey, I'm a little teapot. That's how I got my job. They had educational researchers sitting with the kids watching the um, auditions, and all the guitar players Love their guitars so much, they played like this. I think I'm the only face the kids ever saw that whole day. And I sang a song that they knew. And, and the head of educational research for our show was the only one who told me, Loretta, you showed us that Sesame Street could be interactive if we designed it properly. Because you invited the kids to participate, and they did. Nobody told me that but Ed Palmer. Our show was so different because we have, we have writers, but we have educational researchers that test everything. 
And if it doesn't hold up, we don't do it for the joke. Oh yeah, it was very structured. As a matter of fact, that's what the writers said. It made it so difficult to write for the show because they had to put the curriculum in and then be funny. We shot one week shows Monday through Friday to show how it would be a weekly show. So the pilot was not traditional an hour, two hour pilot, it was a week. So we shot in the summer and we came on that Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you, it was, we came there in the dark, we left in the dark. At some point, you just lose time and you just, you're working, you're there, you, and all the music was new. You had to learn all these new songs. We got so that we did it more efficiently as time went on. But boy, that those first few years, like I said, we went in in the dark and we came out in the dark. And you lose track of time that way. You don't even know what day it is. What did success feel and look like? I'm not sure because I'm not sure I knew I was successful. That's an interesting question. I don't think I ever felt that I was enough or had enough because I felt like I was a kid act as opposed to commercial television. So I'm not sure I had enough sense to really enjoy it. I'm, I'm happier now in my life than I've been in any other segment of my life. I'm just beginning to realize it I, because I put a wrong standard for what success is against what my success is. See, I had the standard of really money. PBS doesn't make the money that the networks make. Um, I, had, I had the the world standard of what success is, that your impact is, is where your success should be measured by. It, it, even measuring success for me is, is funny. I, I, that's, that's not what I want to do now. I want to do impact now. I want to do impact and influence only to the extent that it helps you be better. I don't need the aggrandizement anymore to make me feel better. That's key. Don't say no so fast. Sometimes you're saying no to your breakthrough. At least go. You know, you don't have anything to lose and who knows what you might gain. And it's, it's an interesting thing because this leads into my, my second book about don't retire, refire. We were making the um, Elmo and Grouchland movie, and everybody was in it. And they had this gigantic um, uh, laundromat. And so all the puppets, all the cast, and I'm at a dryer, and I have two Muppets that are little monkeys. So the puppeteers are down at your feet, you know, they're hiding behind the, the machinery and stuff. And these, these two little guys are up here, and I'm standing there, and they're talking to me. And they're funny because the puppeteers have made up their own language like twins. 
So these, <laughs> they don't even write for these guys. They just make it up. So they're talking. So they're saying, one saying, you know, we got to get more screen time. We got to get, and I said, Joey, what are you talking about? More, what screen time? Oh, Miss Susan, if, if you don't get screen time, uh, they just call you uh, uh, one of the um, extras and you don't get paid like a principal. So you got to get on the camera. You need more screen time. And I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> I said, you're right. I need more screen time. And that's what I realized. They don't fire you. They just don't write you into the script. No screen time. <laughs> you ain't getting paid. So when it just kind of trickles off like that, and one guy said to my significant other, you know, they're trying to embarrass her. They're trying to make her quit because they've cut her shows down to the... That's all I needed to hear. You know, Loretta Pawpaw, Michigan, dug her heels in. I was back at that audition at the door. You ain't making me quit. Oh, no. You all can move ten times, and I'll still find you. <laughs> if you. Oh, no. If you don't fire me, I'm not quitting. So, you know, the shows just went down. Your guarantee went down. And, but you know what it made me do? In the Bible, there was a prophet who had called fire down and everything, and he would he was depressed, and and God said, "Just rest. I'll send the ravens to feed you, and you're by the brook, and you just rest. Don't make any big decisions while you're this tired." Well, God told him, "Okay, rest is up. Your next assignment is Zarephath. There's a widow there." I've assigned to help you go to Zarephath. He wouldn't go. The river dried up. Now, when the river dries up, because you ain't going to your next assignment, here's, here's another cross in the road. Are you going to walk up and down the dry river bank and be mad at them? There's always a them. You notice that? There's always they and them. Are you going to walk up and down being mad at them? Or are you going to go to your next assignment? And guess what my next assignment was? Universities and teachers and schools, the Sesame Street method on teaching diversity to young children. That was my next assignment, and I wasn't really ready to go. Once you realized this, what were the things that you were able to do, and now what is still coming? I want to start doing um, classes online, you know, uh, with the, um, it's time to occupy your dream, let us tell you how. There are many of us that are, are done with our primary career, and we have skills and energy and everything, but we don't know how to use them especially in this new uh, technological tech-savvy, and we don't know where to go. And some of the tech people are just as mean as those audition folks. They try to make you feel stupid. They leave out steps. I'm real allergic to the, the guys on the tech talks that are standing up there all fluffed up and finished. I want to know, 
like you're asking me, yeah, but when did you grind and when did it, when did you want to stop and when did you take you to your bed and suck your thumb? You know, that to me, that's what I want to do for folks. Help them to know that everybody goes through it. And the point about it is to get through it. Don't get stuck. Don't stop. Don't retire. Refire. It's not too late. Dreams don't have an expiration date. Dr. Loretta, thank you very much for taking this hour. For a little girl growing up in Pawpaw, Michigan, the dream to be in show business is a reach. After an unsuccessful bid to join Motown as a performer, Loretta went all in and moved to New York to become a substitute teacher to keep the lights on while hustling for showbiz opportunities. There was no way she could have known that her entertainer aspirations would morph with her role as a teacher to present an unthinkable opportunity that she had the courage to pursue and persevere. In the process, she also got herself a doctoral degree in education. Today, at 82, she is still developing her dream and focusing on the true meaning of success. I am especially thankful to my friend and colleague Scott Albom for introducing me to Dr. Loretta Long and for joining this podcast now as an editor. For Media for Change, I'm Sanjeev Chatterjee.